Well, I appreciate everybody checking in, and I appreciate the fact that all of you gave your honest opinions about the poses because it's really interesting to see, and I think that Sally had the most kind of appropriate thing to kind of really contribute to this is as our bodies change and as our emotional bodies change, our practice is very different. Well, we might have like totally liked it, and then we end up maybe hating it or we have a month where it's fantastic and then something happens say like with work or driving and our shoulders are tight from that experience and we go into a class exacerbated and we come out with an injury, right? But one of the great things about having people check in um, with a group like this size is that you get to really see what your student base is interested in, right? And the class tonight is the um, Chaturanga Dandasana, but actually it's a foundational pose. I think your tech was called an advanced tech, which I find interesting because it's almost in everything that we do is Chaturangas are incorporated into all of our practices. And you're either going to love it or hate it. And by checking in, you really found like, oh, yeah, or other people are like, no, or some people are like, I don't want to show up. You go alone to class. Uh, but actually, it's really, really an important thing. And tonight, what we're going to do, and if you girls don't have your sheets and want them to write on them, grab them and come sit up here with a, something to sit on. Uh, what's really interesting about it is it hits your core. And when I say core, I want to say bandhas because we're yogis, so I want to talk about breath. Oh, yeah. And, and some of you know that I'm a stickler for talking more about bandhas than talking about core. And um, it encompasses your lower body, your upper body, and it incorporates plank pose. So the interesting thing about what we're going to talk tonight about is that it's not really a push-up. And when people come to class, they see it more as a push-up. Um, but actually, it's not. It is more of a thing to stabilize your body in your practice. And if you stabilize your body in your practice, then you won't misalign and get injured. And um, what is something that gets injured in uh, Chaturanga? Shoulders, right, but it's like, ooh, that's a big thing, right? Let's talk about the muscles, and I gave you some pictures from uh, Leslie Kamenoff's book of Yoga Anatomy where it really breaks down the shoulder and the muscles in the shoulder group. You've got your triceps, you've got your serratus, you've got your um, uh, spinal extensions, you've got your even your glutes, your hamstrings, your, I uh, can't pronounce this right, but your gastronomus, and um, you've got abdominal walls that are activated, right? Your pecs, your, um, your obliques, your quadriceps. I mean, everything is kind of working here to allow you to get into this space. So what I find is interesting, and now I'm going to get technical, is that when you have a myriad of benefits this is an excellent pose to build awareness of the muscles that support and stabilize our shoulder blades. Okay? It's teaching you to support your own body weight. Which is interesting because in yoga, your hands are your feet and your feet are your hands. So most people think that it's a push-up. That I'm forcing my body into a position because I'm using my hands and my shoulders to keep myself engaged. But actually, your entire body is working together when your hands are your feet and your feet are your hands to um, find a stabilizing space so that the dynamics of your practice aren't really coming from your muscle groups or your bones or it's coming deeper from within where it's more of like your, your breath. And that's truly what's working. So you go to a class and you start sweating. Are you sweating because the room is warm or are you sweating because you're breathing? Right? <laughs> right? Good one. So you should be sweating because you're breathing, but a lot of people will go into a space that is um, warm so that they can kick their body into production of heat. But remember that inner fire that we're trying to create, the Agni, 
It comes from the breath. It comes from the movement of the diaphragm. And when the diaphragm is moving and engaged, and we are engaged with our bandhas, then all of a sudden, it's not like, oh, you know, like I have really strong arms. It's not coming from your arms. It's not a push-up. So it's kind of a misnomer, and it's intimidating. And so there's a lot of practices that look tough or challenging, but it's not um, tough or challenging when you're working with the breath because the breath creates the heat and the breath balances your hands and your feet and becomes your center. Cool? Let's go to those muscles for a second and talk about the dynamics of all the muscles worked. So this is not on your sheets and I'm going to sound really technical so I want to make sure I'm saying it right so I'm reading it from uh, something. But in plank pose, the pectoralis muscles of the chest are keeping us in a push-up position. And maybe if you want to, you can touch yourself. I won't tell anybody, but it'll help you to understand more, right? But your pecs are working in the chest to keep us in a push-up position. To avoid sagging into the wrist joints, a common complaint in this pose, whether you have hypermobility or you're really tight and your joints aren't as flexible, we want to be able to recruit the larger muscles of our shoulders for support. Imagine your heart moving closer to the floor, and without bending the elbows, you allow the shoulder blades to glide closer to each other. So, everybody take and reach your hands forward, and then shrug your shoulders up, back, and down into your back pockets. So the shoulders are moving towards each other because they're triangular. So say, see a triangle that I'm drawing. Your tr shoulder blades are almost as if you're taking your thumbs and your index finger on your right and left hand and you're opening up a jar. So the right hand rotates clockwise to the right. The left hand rotates counterclockwise to the left and that broadens the shoulders. So you're working with vortexes of energy, spiraling. Does that make sense? So now your shoulders are broadening and opening closer to each other. This in turn actively engages your rhomboid muscles between the shoulder blades and the spine and the middle portion of our diamond-shaped trapezius muscles. Okay, um, I have something called a winging scapula. Have you ever seen a winging scapula? Okay, I'm gonna show you a winging scapula. But um, what this is, is to show you how you can feel your friend's bodies. And we're going to feel our friend's bodies. But you're hypermobile, so this might be something that happens. See how my shoulder can go back and I can stick my hand into it? Right? So what happens is a lot of people don't have control of their shoulders. So if you get in a car accident and you have like whiplash or something, the shoulder gets pulled out of the sockets. The rotator get overextended, right? So the muscles tear. So there's a muscle behind the shoulder blade called a rhomboid that if it's not strong enough, it can give you too much hypermobility, okay? So we're trying to tone those muscles so they don't overstretch, but that they broaden. So see what's happening now? Reach your hands forward like you're a dancer. And I was not a dancer. My mom took me off of all like physical activity classes because I was just caboodling. But you're broadening your shoulders. Do you feel that? The space? That's what you're trying to do. When you're doing chaturanga and your planks, you're trying to give yourself a hug. You're trying to give your best friend, your breath, a hug. So there's broadness as the shoulders draw back. Do you see? So now you're plugging your shoulders back into the back pockets, but there's broadness. Feel that? Okay, let's go back to the idea of the um, dynamics of the muscles that we're working on. As we're working on these muscles in chaturanga, the more complex movements come from the upper body. But it's not the upper body that's doing all the hard work. Truly, it's the breath. Hands are your feet, your feet are your hands. So a lot of actions must occur. First, you balance the action of inward and outward rotation at the shoulder joint. So you have to be stable. Now, we're gonna do, we did some of this if you were here in the last tech, but you might repeat things, and it's always good to repeat things because you learn more. Two and two and two, 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 two. Stand up, please. In order to have the inward and outward rotation of the shoulder joint to match, one person stand in front of the other. 
Whoever is in front is now the student. Whoever is behind is the teacher. Students, lift your arms up. So one person is facing towards the other person's back. Whoever sees the back is the teacher. The student's arms are raised and their shoulder width apart. Now teachers, take your hands and place them at the bicep-tricep complex. Okay? The student is going to push out. You're going to push in. Dynamic opposition. You're, you're drawing to center. You're working the midline, and it comes from the breath. Do you feel that? Okay. Good. Relax. Now rotate. Now the student becomes a teacher. Teacher becomes the student. If you're working on broadening and hugging your favorite person, your fingers are radiant and active. The marble points, the energy points in the hands are active. Thumbs spiral out, pinky spiral inward. You're pushing into your friend's arms, and but your elbows have to be straight so the energetic lines are open. So all of your muscles and joints straight. There you go, Jamie. Straighten your wrist. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Good. All right. Everybody feel okay? The last little thing that happens is when we add our hands forward and we shrug our shoulders into our back pockets, right? It was fine. We had a neck. Once I had you reach your arms up, everybody was like this. And your shoulders were eating your ears. Now, teacher becomes student, student becomes teacher. Take your hands, everybody, and take your thumb and index finger together and like you're making little claw hands, right? Mm -hmm. And all you're gonna do is take, without being creepy, not <laughs> a creepy touch, good touch, the teacher is gonna come to the student and lengthen the neck. So you're gonna take your fingers to the sides of the neck, separating thumb and index finger, and lengthen the neck. Well, arms stay up. So you're working with vortexes of energy 
To maintain neutral rotation at the shoulder joint, our elbows must hug to the sides to engage the triceps, whose natural action is pure flexion and extension at the elbows. It's important that we keep engagement of the scapular support muscles that we started with in plank pose. This means we need to keep that open heart moving forward, um, keeping broad in the collarbones, and our shoulder tips never drop below our elbows. So we're going to talk about this because a lot of people either look like they're a dolphin swimming in the ocean or having really dirty sex <laughs> because they just go all weird with their lower half of their body and their elbows do all kinds of weird things. And it's funny, but you don't want to say it out loud. Um, you have to try and figure out how to keep them have an open heart so that their collarbones are broad and the tips of the shoulders never drive below their elbows. The subscapularis muscle of the rotator cuff on the underside of the shoulder blade is working over time to prevent the arm bone from moving forward out of the shoulder joint. So as most people hyperextend and go out of containment. Everything that we're doing when we practice yoga is drawing to the midline, optimal alignment, right? That's our ultimate goal for our practice. So when we're working, if you go back to your notes, um, the modifications on up is what we're going to do in practice tonight. Your elbows don't flare out. It's like driving a car, you're engaging Mula Banda, and you're creating about a 90 degree angle in your elbows. Okay? So, how many people like to drive? We're going to pretend that we're driving. Put your elbows to the ribcage. Your heart is held high. You're in alignment, right? Your shoulders are back. And you should set your car up like this. The back of the head presses the headrest, right? So that your forehead and chin are on the same plane and you're driving, right? But you're engaging Mula Bandha. So you're tricky yogis because now you're practicing even further. You're engaging the root lock and your elbows are to the ribs and that's Chaturanga. So you Chaturanga all the time, right? Unless you're like, got your leg out and you're, you know, smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer and driving, you know, like out in the country and not focusing on what's happening. You're just like a yoga practice. You're paying attention. You're alert. You're focused. And you're really in this space where you're engaging Mulabandha and your heart is expressive. Because anytime we start going inward, we retract. And then all we are is like back in our mind. And yoga is teaching us how to drop into awareness and be present with the breath. So that it's not weight in the wrist, we're working from the center. We're working from the breath. That beautiful diaphragm is engaging us into the practice. As we come into this space and we feel ourselves um, aligned, we're going to practice something, and I wrote it down for you, knees, chest, and chin. That would be the first phase of how to get into the pose. That would be a cue. The interesting thing about this chaturanga is that it teaches us how to walk on all fours. We don't spend time walking on our hands. So a lot of people get really super uncomfortable with this. Same thing as malasana. In garland pose in malasana, in third world countries, they take a poopy like this. Mm -hmm. They have babies like this. They eat dinner like this. We don't do that here. And in turn, because of all of our sitting and stuff like that, we get really tight in our joints. It's the same thing with our hands. If you worked your hands and worked your body and felt comfortable, you would think this is no big deal. But because we are a thinking culture, we're stuck up in our mind and we're not grounded down here, kind of comfortable and moving our bodies in all the positions that it can be, right? Okay, the last thing I want to say is a stupid trick that I love to do, and um, you have to, who likes broccoli? Oh, okay, if you don't like broccoli, we'll figure out something, but you're going to go buy organic broccoli, and it has those blue tight bands, those thicker, bluer rubber bands that that you can only get on broccoli. I don't know if they give it on other things, but you need a band like that. You put it between the nail beds, uh, uh, the nails, and the first big knuckle, you know, the big knuckle, and you just go like this. It's called a cat's claw, right? 
Okay, so a lot of people, one of the reasons they don't like putting their hands down is because if you take your hand into a fist, cat's claws will help. If you can see the shadow here, you see how I have that weird muscle there? I don't know what it's called. Anybody in, in really know the muscles, the body? You see that muscle moving? You can just flex on your hand. So if you don't have that muscle, it's something that like rock climbers get and different athletes get. If you're not used to putting weight on your hands and you are hypermobile and extremely flexible and you don't have a lot of the stabilizing muscles built up, of course you're gonna hate this, right? You're not putting weight in the hands, but your obvious first reaction is dump. Dump the weight instead of using the vortexes of energy and the breath and the mula bandha to ground you. What you end up doing is you dump, and there those muscles don't get built up. And then you start to get a little bit weaker, and in turn you start creating injuries because you're not stabilized. So we want to really focus on um, the idea of chaturanga um, and remembering that um, we want to work from center. Cool? So you put it like I have this hairband, and you do something called a cat's claw to build up some of the muscles. You have stress balls and you're pulling inward, you're doing the opposite of a stress ball, you're pushing out, and it helps to develop wrist strength. Yeah, it's called a cat's claw. These things aren't strong enough. Right. Oh my god, I love you. Okay. So when we look at our Sanskrit thing, when we go to the idea of chaturanga, chatur is four, anga is limb, danda is staff, which is your spine, right? If you look at a caduceus or a catechus or the doctor symbol, there's always that staff, the rod. That's what us yogis call the spine, right? So the danda is your staff or your spine. And Asana is the posture, so four-limb staff pose, or low plank is what some people call it, is chaturanga dandasana. Should we say it out loud? Chaturanga dandasana. Very good, you are all yoga teachers now. Congratulations. One thing that I like to remind you is that this pose and every pose that you do, so it's redundant, I put this on all of your sheets, it's based on tadasana. And in order to take a stand and be centered, you have to have that optimal alignment and the ability to hold yourself upright and allow yourself to be open physically and emotionally to feel your best. The ability to be in this space allows you to find your shtira sukha asana. So for those of you who are newer to text, shtira sukha asana, you're balancing your strengths and your weaknesses to find a steady and easeful state. So you have power and stillness, right? Say you have scales, right? And you have the scales that are tipping. You feel weak that day, you're in a bad mood, and you're not as focused. Your chaturanga can get really messed up if you don't focus back on the breath and find that shtira sukha asanam. Say you have a, a really awesome day and you're not really focusing and you try something because you're trying to be a show off, and then all of a sudden, you're not balanced again, and you can hurt yourself. Or your body um, did something that was really challenging, and you had a really intense like, physical day, and then you come to do your practice, and you're off. You're not balanced in your shjira sukha asana. So you want to be not that piece of noodle that's really like that's overcooked. And you don't want to be the piece of noodle that's like undercooked, because you'll be too brittle but you want to be in the middle. And that's what, as yogis, we try to do all the time, right? We're trying to walk that middle path. So practicing the middle path should never overtax your body because you're always working to find center. So this pose that people either love or hate is something that should be pretty easy because you're really working on the even distribution of weight and balancing out and making things accessible so that it can become part of your daily practice. And you're using your breath to really give yourself the capacity to find equilibrium and ease. Cool? Yeah. 
Coolio. Awesome. Okay, let's go to the benefits side. Um, when you're working on this pose, it allows you to focus on arm strength, right? So that you can build stability for arm balance poses or more of the stupid human tricks. Remember, stupid human tricks do not make you a good yogi and you are not going to go to yoga land faster if you can do the stupid human tricks. A lot of people now, it's more of an athleticism kind of a thing and it's not about your yogic practice. It's not about yoga. Yoga is balancing the ha and the ta and finding ahimsa, uh, uh, um, right? So in thought, speech, and action, if you're a good human, doing a cool pose is not going to make you a good human. And we're really focusing on being yogic off the mat even more than we're trying to create a cool athletic shape with our body and contort ourselves into something. This is, helps you with muscle memory. It helps you to um, develop um, stability in your center. It prepares your body um, not only for inversions, but energetically it prepares your body for optimal alignment, which gives you a can-do attitude. So for kids, or for people who might be on the spectrum, it's a proprioceptic practice to teach you fortitude, grounding, balance. It allows you to find a feeling of power and access your inner strength. That's pretty amazing, right? If someone is, say, like, not really feeling too good about themselves and their practice can help them start elevating their mood, in turn, that starts elevating their life because we work on the neurological pathways and it's an energetic thing that helps us to create more openness and that openness in turn translates into a positive disposition and a feeling of um, confidence that can help you to get out of that ruminating black hole of depressiveness, which we want to. Uh, subtly help people without having them even know because they're coming in to maybe work out but they're getting something different. The issues to watch out for are contraindications would be like if someone does have a wrist or shoulder or arm injury automatically you want to make sure that you are um, helping them modify. So say someone does have a wrist thing. Have you ever seen those like two pound weights that look the dumbbells so they have the the, the dumbbell part are bigger and then they have the bar. Someone can do chaturanga holding onto that. Right? Because then they're not pushing into the wrist, but they're holding. There's also triangular blocks sometimes people buy. Or we start doing modifications, which is what we're going to do when we practice. And the other thing is to think about, like, if you're pregnant, you need to create space or modify for that person. And for the second person that is kind of cooking in the oven, and so a lot of times you're just going to do chaturanga on your knees and then an, a variation of an up dog on your knees. But it really depends on the person because I know people who run marathons till a couple days before they have babies. So it just really depends on their um, personality. Uh, the things that we're going to look out for is integrity in the core and having our bandas engaged. That weird dolphin swimming ass hike, drooping shoulders, which all relates to they're not in Tadasana. And then we want to make sure people don't have too much weight in the wrist. And we're going to use the same similar trick where we put when people were standing in Tadasana and we had them press into your hands uh, where they were on top of the head. That we're going to do the same thing when they're in high plank. Pain, discomfort. Um, you don't want a shoulder shred or do the um, rotator cuff or the rhomboid stuff because that's when you can really mess yourself up. And so we call it shoulder shredding. There's lots of ways to change that and that's why we're gonna use a block and a strap today to practice with. So let's go through um, some of our questions to think about. Why do most people not like this asana? We kind of answered that, didn't we? Right? Pain, wrists. Challenging. Challenging, right? Um, and uh, 
Can you replace this pose with strength training? Yes. Do you know how to replace strength training? No. Can you Right? It's kind of up in the air, right? It just depends. I know lots of people who are going through the change of life and they say that the, even though yoga is really a great practice, they've noticed they need to try different things to just kind of spice it up, right? Whatever you need to do, but don't say that this is strength training to people. What you really want to think about is that chaturanga helps you to find your center. So it's not like if someone's coming and saying, like, we'll do lots of chaturangas or they add in an extra push-up, you want them to back it off because it's not a push-up and it's not strength training per se. You are going to come and have a strong physique and toned bodies because you are stabilizing from your center. What yoga styles use chaturanga? Vinyasas, Ashtanga. Ashtanga, all of them, yep, Hatha classes use it, um, even Iyengar classes use Chaturangas in their practices, uh, I mean, yin practice, we're not going to do like, you know, a lot of chaturangas, but you could have a pose in which you're setting yourself up to be very similar, but you're propped. So it's a more of a restorative space, right? Restorative yoga, obviously, and yin yoga is not going to be a space where we're really going to focus on chaturanga, but chaturanga is pretty much in everything that we do when we're teaching yoga um, nowadays, unless you're doing yoga nidra. I guess that you would not be doing chaturanga and yoga nidra or meditation. And the ultimate goal isn't to do chaturanga. Remember, it's to put our tush to the kush and to find center and be good humans. Um, what is a prep pose or a setup pose for it? Hmm? Yep, tadasana. Sorry. Yep. Right, I put some there, right? Plank. Yep, someone said that. Yep, that's good. So cobras and up dogs are pretty much setups or prep poses to get your body ready for it. Um, what is a follow-up pose for chaturanga? Right, down dog. So we go from high plank to low plank, and then we do an up dog and a down dog. And then if I step to the top of the mat and I start doing it all over again, what's that called? Right? So that's a prep pose for it because it's getting your body ready. Who can do chaturanga? Everybody, right? Because we teach modifications on up. And if someone can't do something, then we find a way for them to feel that they can still work those stabilizing muscle groups and find a way to have the sensation of chaturanga without taxing their body out or making them uncomfortable. So what are some things to think about when doing adjustments on students? I want you to remember that your most powerful tool is your words as a teacher. So the way that you cue, your tone of voice and stuff, and to really focus on letting people modify for their own skeleton. Because as we notice in the hips tech, everybody's body is very, very different. So what they do is going to be totally different. And if you breathe with a student, then you can really find what their rhythm is to help them to adjust. Okay? Cool. What we're going to focus on is we're going to do the three versions of Chaturanga so that you can feel it. And we are going to start off by doing the same kind of test um, with the hand on top of the head. And we are all going to take, God bless you, you're going to take your partners and you are going to take and pull one of your partner's mat the long way from the wall. And you're going to keep in your groups of two and you're going to find a spot against the wall. A pillar counts as a wall. Yeah. So I shall do that. 
Everybody's good? Yes. All right, here. Okay, one person say, I'm really excited and I want to be the student.
should be able to lift your pinky fingers up off the ground. That's how light you're, you are. Because I'm really, if you look at the, my feet, I'm on my toes. I'm pushing back, but I'm lengthening. I'm hugging my favorite person. I'm pretty good at back and forth. I can shift back and forth, and you can have your students do that. Then by the time I bring my elbows to a 90 degree angle, I have a hammer. Right? That's what you're uh, attempting to do. So you're working with those vortexes of energy. The thumb spiral ends. So you're turning the jar, but the shoulders open. So your jar is like open. So that when I come into Chaturanga, I just rest on the hammock. So now try to rest on your hammock, keeping your body straight and strong. So you don't even need the wall per se, but I want you to feel chaturanga where you rest on the hammock and keep your body in a neutral spine. And if my butt was high, it might, I have a, might be a bubble butt, but you're trying not to. This is what happens when people go into it. They either look like they're dolphins, right? Swimming and see my elbows go out. What you want to do is you just want to lower down. That's why the next thing we're going to do is the modifications. Knees, chest, chin. But you're trying really hard now just to rest on your hammock. Go for it. Not 
back up and you're squeezing the block elbows hug the ribs push back up Sense? Okay. 
So that would be your homework, those little push-ups. They help you to create a little bit more strength and comfortability with the pose. Now that you know you're trying to hug your favorite person and keep broadness, your shoulders fit into your back pocket, your neck is long, and your top of your head still stays as if you're in Tadasana. So a lot of people start looking up with their chin, lengthen through the top of your head. Now, as you go a little bit deeper, let's work on the modifications and then you'll cue these to your friend, okay? First modification is to take and you come into high plank. So let's all practice together. As you come into high plank, you bring your knees, your chest, and your chin down. Use your inhale to do a gentle cobra, not a lot of weight on your hands. Almost feel like you have like a purse or whatever dudes like to carry, a man purse. And you're shrugging your shoulders back and your hands are off the ground, right? That's retracting back into your back pockets. Now obviously this isn't an up dog tech, but this is the only way to easily teach you chaturanga. Bring your forehead back down, hands onto the ground, press into your hands and your knees. Roll the toes under, and that would be the variation of your planks. Does that make sense? Okay, part two would be just what we were practicing. You're in high plank, you lower your knees, your elbows hug your ribs, and then as you keep the knees to the ground, you lift up to an up dog as you uh, open up your shoulders. So you're looking down the tip of the nose. Use your exhale, press into your hands and your knees, downward facing up. And then the third one would be your full on plank. Inhale, high plank. Exhale, chaturanga. Inhaling up, exhaling to down. Obviously we're not warmed up, so I don't have, you don't really have to force it or go really deeply into it but you're cueing those three things. So those are the three variations. Knees, chest, chin, right? And then you come out slowly, same way. Or just come onto your knees, elbows hug the ribs, gentle, or high plank to low plank. And no, person needs to be doing the same thing, you know, like everybody in the room can be all doing a different thing. As yoga teachers, you really almost have to put on that thinking cap of um, multitasking, right? You're already create, pulling a sequence out of your bum holio. You have to weave in an intention, and then all of a sudden you're going to see blobs in the room that turn out to be human beings that you're trying to help them to breathe. And then also, you're trying to help them to work with their own body and not let their egos get in the way. So that each person has to be doing their own thing. And you as a teacher are orchestrating all of this. So that's why you have to meditate and put your tush to the kush because if you don't, you're not gonna be able to focus on being able to do all of these tasks and you have to have a really clear, open mind to be able to massage gently all of this stuff to make it into a beautiful, yummy pie or whatever you're baking or concocting or <laughs> conducting. Okay, so what I would love for you to do is work with your friends and kind of play around with the chaturangas and maybe we could even so I'm going to set a timer for five minutes and you just can work with your friend teaching them the three variations. Cool? Ready, steady, go. All right, so now that you had an experience of teaching your friend modifications on up, 
of this pose and we worked to um, find stability and all kinds of good stuff and we learned all the myriads of boo-boos and the myriad of good stuff that happens from um, doing chaturanga. What was the experience of teaching your friend? So to see the changes in a student is pretty wonderful, yeah. And just to see her first not in the pose, like to see what muscles she's working. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Anybody else? I would say from my perspective, not really having, I don't feel like I have a sense as to what the true pose is supposed to look like. So to, to watch her doing it or to cue her, um, I found that difficult because I don't know I don't know whether she's doing it right, or I don't know whether she's, are her shoulders, you know, back. And again, I'm, I'm a YS87, so this is my third tech class, mm. and I've had three weeks of yeah. class. Um, so I'm hoping it will get better, but um, from my perspective, I don't, I don't think I did a good job with her, because I don't. So you still feel pretty raw. Right? Okay, so that's totally, totally normal. And uh, what I want to tell everyone, whether you're a seasoned teacher or a newbie to the practice, is to watch bodies and to experience things. Because without the experience, you can't teach something that you don't really know anything about. And the more you become accustomed to doing it and watching bodies, then it'll become a little bit easier. And it's just practice, practice, practice. And like Patabi Joyce used to say, it's like all is coming. So that's a totally valid feeling. And don't feel like you're doing something wrong or don't like um, negate uh, your learning path, you know, or like don't shame yourself for something that's like new. Yeah? And that's totally good because then once you start and things start to click, and the bodies don't look like blobs, then all of a sudden you will be able to have a better understanding of the body awareness and the body dynamic, especially after you take like anatomy and stuff. Yeah, so that's very valid, and I'm sure everybody else is feeling that, they just don't want to say it. Yeah, and I feel that same way, you know? I mean, if you know too much, then there's no point in transforming and changing and evolving. So I'm glad, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Right. So to have eyes on you was good. To have eyes on you was good? Yeah. Your homework? Yeah. It gives you the ability to keep that open heart. And it teaches you that um, by pushing the shoulders out and like hugging your favorite person, you don't start kind of shh shredding the muscles. Yeah, because a lot of people get these valleys in their shoulders. So, yep, good. Bales? Everybody's good? Let's go around and say one word that now makes you, uh, that you think of now after this experience about Chaturanga Dandasana. You can start anywhere. Powerful. Powerful. Light. Different. Different. Awareness. Awareness. Stable. 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 Cool. Broad. Broad. Yes. Tadasana. Tadasana. Yes, my favorite word after breath. Yeah. <laughs> Work. Work. Ah. Centered. Centered. Sensei core. Centering. Yeah, centering. Yep, good. Length, cool. Mula banda. Mula banda. Extension. I was going to say lengthens. Lengthens, good. Okay, awesome. Cool. Okay. You are all going to be amazing teachers. 
remember that every day is different, just like your practice, every day is different, just like your chaturanga, every day is different. And um, if you trust yourself and you keep experiencing things and keep trying things, never setting limitations, but always being really body conscious, you're gonna be beacons of bright lights and amazing teachers, and I'm really excited to take all of your classes. So um, have a really nice evening, and uh, um, may the merits of your practice benefit all beings. Namaste. Namaste.